Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Small Talk. You already know two queens, but tonight we actually have three queens, three perspectives, and I would love for our special guest to introduce herself. So Danielle, introduce yourself for the listeners. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you guys tonight. My name is Danielle Shirley. Um, I'm a financial educator. So I teach millennial moms and millennial parents how to win with money, quite, you know, frankly. Um, I started my business about a year ago and it actually blossomed from my personal relationship with my daughter, teaching her about money. And so that's where I found the disconnect between parents and kids and learning about money and the basics and foundations. So that's what I'm excited to talk to you guys about today. That is awesome. Danielle, we're so happy to have you because this is a topic that we definitely need to talk about more. Um, I feel like people don't talk about it enough. So Brent, start us off. Tonight, as Asia said, we're talking about, or Danielle explained a little bit, money talks. Money talks, right? Um, That's our theme, that's our topic for tonight. So we're gonna jump into everything, financial literacy, some saving tips and strategies. Um, Danielle can kind of walk us through a couple things, all about money, 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 money. Right. Um, and we'll ask Asia for a little bit of her expertise in mental health and how that kind of ties in, too, because self-care goes along with with money and it just all ties in together. So absolutely. Before we actually jump into some questions that we might have gotten from our, our listeners, we just want to touch on some basics. Right. So there are a lot of things that we didn't learn um, growing up about financial literacy that our parents or our whoever our caregivers were did not teach us. Um, we made it to adulthood. Congratulations. <laughs> we're here. Um, but there are things that we wish that we, we would have um, learned. I'll start off by saying the checkbook for me was uh, not very common. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my mom writes checks all the time. I don't know if checks are even used now in 2021, but even growing up, that's something that I just never took the time out to. When someone asked for a cashier's check or just a regular check, I just never knew how to do that. I had to kind of, you know, teach myself or else things wouldn't get paid. So mm-hmm. that's that's a small, minor thing um, growing up that I didn't learn that trans- transferred over into adulthood a little bit. Well, that's, that's funny that you mentioned the checkbook thing, right? Because we really don't use checks anymore, you know, realistically, like paper checks. And the rare times that we do, we either grab a money order or uh, a cashier's check, or we go to the bank and like, say, okay, can you give me one temporary check? Because like some (laughs) random person's asking me for it. Um, So thankfully, we don't use checks anymore. But it was kind of an important skill to learn when you were a kid, like where to fill out your name, where to sign it, how to balance your checkbook behind the scenes. So I think that was more important than actually being able to write a check was being able to write a good check and not a bad check, right? (laughs) So, um, but absolutely, you're 100% spot on. Like, we saw our parents or our caregivers or our grandparents, whoever we lived with, we saw how they dealt with money and either directly or indirectly, it bled into our mind. Mm-hmm. So the good habits, the bad habits, the things we don't talk about, you know what I mean? All of that. So if you saw your parents struggle with credit card debt, you had that impression, right? Like, hmm, I don't want credit cards or, oh, they're bad or, you know, whatever you saw, 
transferred into adulthood. So good, bad, the ugly. But um, as far as school, learning some of the basics like budgeting, like how you make money, how you spend money, how you invest money, that's a big one. They don't really talk too much about investing in schools. Um, and a lot of these personal finance things, they do leave for the parents to educate their, their child on, but that goes back to what kind of financial education do the parents have? It's a cycle. So we got to equip both the parent and the child level and break that kind of gap of, all right, let me get the knowledge as a parent so that I can effectively pass it down to my child. And it's funny that you say like, so many people say, well, why isn't this taught in schools? Why isn't, you know, budgeting or, or finance 101 taught in school? Um, it is to a certain degree. But remember, when you're a child, you're like, this is so boring. I don't want to talk yes. about money. This yes. is yes. so, right? Yeah. Like when the pandemic first started in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. My daughter started doing online school. And so I actually got to go to school with her and I got to see what she was doing. You know, before that, I'd send her to school, had no idea what she was doing. And, and that was that. Right. So her civics teacher actually put the whole seventh grade class through a financial literacy course. And it was like six weeks long. It was great. It was fantastic. But she hated it because it was so boring. So I try to find creative ways to reach kids and to reach parents to reach their kids because no matter how good the information is, if the kid's not interested, they're not going to absorb it. They're not. Their attention span is like this. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Asia, I don't know if you had any. Yeah, I think even like piggybacking off of that, I think, um, even for myself as a whole grown person, there's just some things even thinking about money that I'm just like, do I really have to do that? You know, mm, like even thinking yeah. about like this idea of investing, right? And that's something that the older that I get, it's like, oh, that is a thing, right? And then <laughs> like, yeah, well, maybe I should, right? And it's so confusing. Like, I feel like it's like, okay, what are all these random letters that are connected to this business? And then, the, <laughs> then there's green lines and red lines and, you know, and, oh my gosh, and I love it. all these things, it, it can be definitely, um, and I've, I've gotten kind of the hang of it. And I, I think that with quarantine, that's kind of helped out, but mm -hmm. I feel like it can still be a lot of information, a lot of like, woof, like this is a lot, you know? So, so how, how would you, right? So even in, when starting and thinking about like, even with investments, right? That's something that's like long-term thinking, right? Because sometimes it's, I mean, you have day trading and stuff like that, right? But it's like thinking about long-term. So even mm -hmm. thinking about like one thing that we, I didn't have growing up, um, well, we did, I guess, but it was like money for a rainy day, mm. right? And, and thinking about that. But the way that my parents did it, it was like money under the, the mattress, right? <laughs> Like, we didn't really know or like in a jar or something like that we didn't really know what was in that so I've been hearing a lot about like emergency funds um is that something that you think is is actually important is that different than just having like a regular savings type of thing like what talk a little bit about that well that's a great point that you mentioned because especially in our community like the, a minority community you know my family is from Jamaica and um you know, we have this mentality of like, well, I shouldn't generalize, but at least in my family, you know, you put money in a jar or a 
can or a water bottle or under the mattress, I swear to you, it will deflate so fast because of inflation. It's crazy. It's like, I'd rather just put it in the bank and get 0.01% interest on my money rather than put it under the mattress. But anyways, um, it's just so true because every year inflation eats away at the value of your dollar. So I want our community to take it out of the mattress, take it out of the sock drawer, put it away. Like even if it's a like fraction of a percentage increase, put it in a high yield savings account. But anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> emergency funds, like it's so funny because I feel like people thought emergency funds were so boring until COVID hit. And then they were like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, that right you know um it's kind of like oh save for a rainy day well we got a whole rainy year and a half yeah (laughs) it was pretty rainy i'm not gonna lie it was pretty rainy and i used to think you know back in the day when i was um first starting out my per like getting out of debt myself before i started teaching i was like okay my emergency fund has to be one thousand dollars i always set that as my goal i was like for some reason it was so hard for me to save $1,000 and to keep it there and not touch it. But what I realized is that we really need three to six months worth of our expenses as an emergency fund. Why? Because so many people got laid off. So many people had their salaries decreased and $1,000 is not going to even cover your rent, your mortgage, right? Let alone you have to eat. So Um, I like to say three to six months of expenses. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean to save three to six months of your whole entire salary. It means tally up, you know, what is is the bare basics that you need to live on? So that means food, water, light, and rent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty much the basics, right? You'll Mm -hmm. survive without everything else. So Mm -hmm. when you save up three to six months worth of those expenses, that's your emergency fund. That's, that is the bare basic emergency fund. Ooh, that's something to think about. <laughs> Not, and it's funny that you say that because even with you talking about like, you know, how we want our, our folks to kind of take it from under the mattress, put it into an account, invest in it. Growing up, we were always given a piggy bank. So like for me, my mind is like, okay, emergency fund, where can I keep a stash in my adult piggy bank, whether that's a drawer in my room or still underneath my mattress. In my mind, for me anyway, it's hard for me to put money in a bank in my savings account and leave it there unless I don't have a card attached to it and it's just nothing. Because if I have possession of that card and it's like, oh my God, you know, I really want this, I'm going to swipe it. And yeah. So it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to save. Um, and interesting that you say that I think it's super important. I think COVID definitely taught all of us a lesson because if you didn't have any money, I mean, we were banking on our stimulus checks and everything else, like help from the government, basically for for those folks that didn't have anything and had children or had other obligations to pay, you know? Mm -hmm. So it definitely taught us a lesson. But jumping into one of our next questions is, uh, I'm not necessarily new to saving, but if you are new to saving, what type, like what, um, if you, if you have a wealthy mindset, you obviously, you know, you save, you want to build and have money for an emergency. <laughs> so you can have that three to six months. What tips or strategies do you, would you say to, to someone that's newly trying to get into the saving world? 
Well, what I would say for someone who's just trying to start saving, like in the past, maybe they had trouble saving and now they're like, first you have to make that decision. That's all part of your mindset is make a decision like enough is enough. This is what I'm going to do. This is how much I need and give it a deadline because otherwise it's just going to go off into the distance and having that mindset of, okay, this is what I'm working towards and nothing's going to get into my way. Nothing's going to stop me and I'm going to reach this goal. That's the first huge battle. Now, the second one, which I see a lot of people do is that they repeat money scripts is what I, I've heard people use. It's called money scripts. So it's, it's common phrases that you say in everyday language that no longer serve you. So for example, have you ever said to someone, oh my gosh, I'm so bad with money. Yes. So that's one of the things we gotta stop saying. Yes. (laughs) So you're, you're unconsciously or consciously reaffirming that in your life. So we gotta get rid of those old habits of saying things like that. Or I used to say this all the time, I'm really bad with math. And math is connected to budgeting and money and investments. There's a lot of math in that. So I'm saying I'm working on it. I'm working on math. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to miraculously just become a mathematician just because I said, you know, just because I'm going to affirm that into my life. But at least take away some of these things that we're saying to ourselves, like, um, oh my gosh, I always go, I always blow my budget. Don't say that. Just say like, I'm conscious of it now, you know, just maybe change some of the verbiage of how we're saying, or uh, here's another good one. People tend to say, and I used to say this all the time. I got to catch myself. That's too expensive. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, that's too expensive because what it does is it shuts down your brain into thinking of a way to attain whatever you want. So if I say that's currently out of my budget, but I'm going to think about how I can get it it changes your brain from a, that's too expensive. So I stop thinking about it versus how can I afford that? So now it's activating my brain to think of a solution. So it's like those little things that you may start to say them in your normal conversation, but try to just catch it when you, when you say those things, that's all part of your mindset. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess like I was thinking like, because I think I'm all right with money, right? Like I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> but you saying that piece around like saying that's too expensive. When I tell you, I say that multiple times a day because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm not thinking about it. So I'm not spending money. Mm-hmm. But to your <laughs> point, it really is shutting my brain down to be like, okay, well, if this is something that you want, or this is something, even sometimes it could be something that I might need, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, delayed gratification, it's too expensive, right? And right. even hearing what you're saying now, I'm like, didn't even think about it that way. That's right. Okay. And, and you know what? It's okay for something to cost a lot of money and for you to still want it. I try to reframe people's thinking because what I do in teaching people about money is not necessarily teaching them how to be frugal right? I want them to spend money on what they value. Mm -hmm. So the two go hand in hand, right? So if that's out of my budget Mm -hmm. and I value it, then I should be able to work towards it, right? It's not about like, 
oh, um, I want these $100 shoes and I value those $100 shoes, but I can't get it because I need to be so frugal that I need to buy my sneakers from Walmart. Do you get what I'm saying? Right. You value it mm. by all means, like make a way to live. That's abundance versus scarcity, right? And sometimes like I grew up in the scarcity mentality where I had to clip coupons for every single thing. You know, I had to like, if I wanted something, it better have been on sale to buy one, get one free, like do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, when you're starting out and you're building wealth, if you're there, you're there for a season. Like, I'm not even going to judge you. If you're there, you're there for a season. I don't want you to get out of that. But once you get out of that, it's abundance mentality. Always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that is great. <laughs> something to think about right it really is especially because i'm thinking and, and even thinking about like me and me as an adult and earlier what we were talking about things that kind of started in our childhood right so here my dad say like when we go to the grocery store him saying if it's not on sale we ain't getting it yeah and was like and that was just that was that you know yeah. um and i think even for me now i do have that that same sort of mentality of like no i don't no, I'm only going to buy vegetables and I'm only going to buy, you know, mm -hmm. this amount at the grocery store. No, and I want, you know, I want a little steak sometimes, but I won't yeah. buy it because if right. I'm like, nope, too expensive. And these are things that started, you know, even, even in my childhood, like we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that, um, to your point, Danielle, is it, these things need to start, you know, as kids and, and the, there are things that they need to learn. And even for us, we can pass them on to our loved ones too. So in the same realm of savings, what are ways that you do um, talk about those things with kids, right? And, and what are fun ways to, to kind of introduce these things? Like, I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have two kids, right? My, my daughter is almost 14. I can't even believe it. She's going to high school this year. Wow. And uh, I know it's, <laughs> I have to take a deep breath when I say that, but, uh, and my son is just finishing kindergarten. So he's turning six. So I have a huge gap in between my kids, but I get to talk about the different levels, right? From a real life, real time perspective. So when I talk to kids about money, it has to be age appropriate. That's first and foremost. Yes. Um, and it also has to be kind of like a casual conversation because I find when I talk to at least my daughter in my experience, if I bring something to her that, that is like mom preaching again, I'm going to hit a wall. She's not going to listen whatsoever, no matter how good the information is. When the student is ready, the teacher appears, you know, sometimes the student yeah. has to be ready in order to receive the information or you can subliminally plant the seed, right? <laughs> um, it's so funny because as, as a young mom, I try to be the young, fun, cool mom. And I think, I feel like I'm sort of accomplishing that goal. But, <laughs> but when I get excited about money, I just turn my daughter off. So I'm still working on, on getting through to her in that sense. But what I will say is a great parenting tip that has worked well for me is that I force and automate things so that she can see what's going on while I'm also teaching her about it. So if she's not going to save, I'm going to show her how I'm saving for her and, and let her like be a part of it, you know, give her cash, let her spend it at the cashier so she can actually see the transactions going through. Um, but going back to like being age appropriate, you know, with my son, he would do more 
piggy banks, like you guys said, like actual, because having and holding physical money for them is important because they need to see the dollar. They need to understand what a quarter dime nickel, all of that stuff is. Right. Once they get to a certain age, then they're going to start depositing into their account and starting to see electronic transfers and, and things like that. So, you know, um, it's really important for me. I teach this a lot is to split your money up into three for kids. For adults, it's a little more complicated, but for kids, I normally split it into three. Number one is they have to save non-negotiable, like a third. So if, you know, if they get $10, they're going to split it up into three. Um, a third goes to savings. So saving and investing, same thing. A third has to go to giving. So they have to be generous with their money, charity, church, whatever they do. And the last part is actually spending and enjoying their money. I find that kids often spend everything that they earn. And so dividing into three really helps. That's awesome. That's a good, that's a good strategy. And I, I, so I too have a five-year-old. So as I'm listening to you, she has her piggy bank there and she's, she's a giver. So she'll be like, I'll pay, you know, Aww. and they're excited. They're really excited when they go to the store, they're able to pull out their own money you know, they read the little price thing and they're, and they're learning how to count. So they, they take their sweet time and count the dollars and give it. And so it's, it's a learning, it's a fun learning experience for them. So I'm a firm believer in allowance because mm -hmm. I know that's a, that's something else growing up that we got that some millennial parents just stopped doing. Um, it's, it's almost like, yeah, we still implement chores in our home, but I'm not going to give you $5 to go wash the dishes. I'm not going to give you $10 to cut the lawn. Um, I know a, a lot of people that don't uh, feel like that's a, that's a way or strategy to um, engage your kids. Like, I mean, they're, they're young. They're when they're seven, eight, they can't go out and get a job, you know, right, so it's right. to kind of provide those things for them. So I love that. I love both perspectives from a young age and, a, and an older um, age. I have, I have something to look forward to. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. It's good. Those are good. Those are great tips. I think it's important for our children to definitely start early um, and, and encourage them as well. Those things that we didn't sometimes get growing up. Yeah. I will say that in giving allowance and um, trying to balance our own adult bills, we are in a world now where there's like a lot of um, entrepreneurship, extra mm -hmm. income, so we can have, you know, some we can give to our kids, we can splurge a little over here, we can save, we can go on trips and vacations. Um, what are some strategies that you would say um, that you would give towards someone that is starting a business or trying to make extra income? That's a great point because I, I've seen the explosion of small business owners and entrepreneurs, including myself during COVID. You know, I went from being a college graduate in 2020, um, you know, after 15 years of, of going to school, you know what I mean? I, I finally <laughs> graduated with my bachelor's degree in 2020. And I used that and I was like, let me start a business. So it was great. It was perfect timing, you know, COVID and all that good stuff. <laughs> so um, it, there's a million ways to make a dollar. 
there's a million ways to make a dollar. Just think about that. Like sit and rest on that thought for one second. There's a million ways to make a dollar or there's one way to make a million dollars. Um, I think that creativity and, and ingenuity and like that, I'm going to get, I'm going to figure it out, you know, helps you to really sit and be like, what am I good at? what do people come to me for, for advice? Like, do people come to me to do makeup? Do people come to me to do hair? Do people come to me for advice? Like you guys are great speakers and great, like with mental health and all of that. Um, what do people come to me for? And how can I best serve them that's natural, right? So when you tap into those things, you can find, you can like drill down and really look deep within yourself to find, okay, these are my strengths to just, that are just natural. Like I don't have to learn anything new. These are just my natural God-given strengths or what I studied in school, whatever. Mm -hmm. And how can I find something that is valuable in the marketplace that, that people are going to pay me for? And for me, what I found was social media. Nobody was leaving the house. I wasn't going to go down the street to, to work at Publix when COVID was all, you know, all over the place. So I found a way to virtually make money using my gifts. So I was teaching and I was speaking and I was helping people get started with their finances. So if you're great at like tennis, for example, which I love, I love tennis, by the way, <laughs> you know, you don't have to be Serena or an expert or anyone like that. You can literally teach people who are 10 years younger than you. You can teach the five and six year olds, you know, how to play tennis, just use whatever gifts and skills you can to make some extra money. But I think that kind of goes back to like what we were talking about before, where we're like, okay, we're trying to figure out our money. We're trying to figure out what, what we're doing, how we're saving, investing and all of that stuff. And to budget, to find out like, okay, am I, do I have an income issue, right? Am I not making enough to provide for my family? If so, then you need to get on that hustle. Or in that budget, you're gonna see, okay, do I spend too much? Maybe the spending part is an issue. Maybe I don't need to go out and get a new job, but maybe I do need to tighten my budget and my spending a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think the place where you have to start is a budget, right? You have to, yeah. you know, start at this, this budget to figure out yeah. what <laughs> that is. And I think sometimes for a lot of folks, budgeting, like you said earlier, can either be boring, it can be scary. Um, I remember when I was first, when I was first starting being conscious about money, when I was, I had moved out of the house and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, this is a part of adulting, I think. And what I did first, I looked at my bank statement. Mm. <laughs> I actually broke down and I cried. I cried and I called my father. Um, oh no. Because I said, the audacity of me <laughs> spending so much money on food. Food, I yes. Said, I, I don't, where's this money coming from? How can I afford, mm. you know, not mm -hmm. that it's expensive, but for me, it was really on something. I'm like, okay, I now need to budget to survive. <laughs> at yes. this point. You know, being in grad school, being away from family. Um, and I honestly, I didn't really know where to start. And I, I found myself living from really going from paycheck to paycheck. Right. So I had a, a a job in grad school um on campus and it was like all right this is the paycheck to paycheck life and i'm realizing that and as i continue in adulthood 
that's not something that we can do. And I feel like that we can do something about it. Um, so Danielle, what are some things that we can do with trying to create a budget, um, with getting comfortable with the budget so that we're not living paycheck to paycheck? Yeah, I think a lot of people live in that zone. You know, a lot of people live in that zone. It's just the difference is some people actually sit down to analyze like how bad the situation is. Just like you said, you know, you went to your dad and you cried when you realized all your money was being literally eaten. So um, <laughs> it's me too. That's my biggest expense. I think it's like 90% of people, everyone, yeah. like food kills them, whether yeah. it's eating out groceries, yeah. wasted groceries, uh, Uber Eats. I mean, like random drinks. I mean, we love to eat apparently. I love yeah. to eat. <laughs> and I love to eat good too. I mean, yeah. we, exactly. and it goes back to what I was saying about like, being able to spend money on things that you really do love. Like if you love steak and you love going out to eat because it's a treat for you and it's something that you value, do that, mm -hmm. do that. But you're going to cut in other areas. So when you're creating a budget for the first time, there's a bunch of different methods. There's a paper and pencil method, which I used to use for a long time. I don't recommend it um, because basically it's just like a list of your bills and it's not all encompassing of like the tiny little drips that leak out of your account or the random variable expenses. Like those are the things that kill you mm -hmm. and writing your bills on a paper. I used to do that. And I used to wonder why I was in such bad shape. And that's, <laughs> that's why, um, but nowadays there's so many great apps that you can use. So some of the apps that I like to use, um, are every dollar, Every dollar is a great app. It connects to your bank account and it makes budgeting so simple. Um, there's a free version and there's a subscription version. So you can pick which one you want. There's Mint, there is um, YNAB, which is Y-N-A-B, you need a budget. Um, there's so many, there's so many apps. Just make sure that you try out, most of them have free trials. So try out the free trial of them and decide if it's something that's convenient for you. Like if it works for you, good. There's no best budgeting app out there. The best one is the one that you're actually going to use and stick to. Now, my last recommendation is um, I actually have a friend who has a budget template in Excel. So if you're an Excel user and you love Excel, you can go grab his budget. It's a dollar. It's, it's literally one dollar. <laughs> Um, and you can reuse it for every month. But I know some people are savvy with Excel. Some people are not. So if that works for you, it works for me. So that's a great thing. You guys can contact me and I can send it to you guys. But um, find what works best for you that you're going to stick to and revisit it every month. Budgeting really shouldn't be a chore, but it should more or so be something that you can automate. Then that's the next point I kind of want to talk about is automation. That's going to save you time, money heartache, pain, all of that good stuff is automating your bills, automating your savings, automating your investing. Cause ain't nobody got time to be sitting there and going over budget. I mean, let's be, yeah. real. <laughs> let's be real. I don't even have time to do that. <laughs> okay. So, but I, every time somebody talks about budgeting, I get nervous. <laughs> Because it feels like you're being reprimanded, right? It feels like, yeah. like, oh, you. Sh I don't want you to assign guilt to looking at what you spent. I just want you to be honest. That's mm -hmm. all I want. And like I, like I said before, like if you shop at, I know you shop at Amazon quite frequently, Brittany. So oh. if you do, 
Yes. I am not here to judge you or make you feel guilty about it, but you need to know that you are spending that money so you can cut somewhere else that's not as important to you. Or think about it, like I just posted today on my Instagram account, I just posted like, all right, kids see that this thing costs $500, but to them, it's no big deal because they don't really even know what $500 is, right? Mm -hmm. But to Mm -hmm. me, that's X amount of hours that I had to work Right. And that's the equivalent of like the light and phone bill put to, you know what I mean? We, we rationalize things differently. So if for you, that $500 is high value to you, by all means, go and spend it. But you have to think of the other areas in your life. Like how much do I have to cut back or increase my income by X amount? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Don't feel guilty. I know. And, and it's true. So like, even when we talk about guilt, because as you're talking, I'm just like, I don't, I don't budget. I get into this conversation all the time, friends, my husband, parents, like budgeting is just not my thing. Um, I'm a habitual spender. <laughs> and I'm thankful for my, my partner being able to kind of balance me because he's great. His bank account, I'm like shocked because he can do that and I can't. So um, for me, it's just one of those things where when we talk about like being feeling guilty and money being the root of all evil, um, it kind of plays on our psyche too, right? Because if you, there's so many times where I felt like when I did save and I knew that I couldn't touch it because I had something coming up, if I pull it, I'm not putting it back, right? But in my, what's in reach is nothing, it's pennies. It puts you in a funk. It puts you in a state of depression. It puts you in this nasty mood. You start taking it down to your friends, your family, your coworkers, your whoever, because you don't have money um, to just go get something to eat or to put gas in your car or whatever. So it definitely plays on your your mental. Um, Danielle, I know you and I had a conversation about mental health and yeah, all that correlates with each other. And I I promise you, anxiety and depression definitely tie into money money you need money like you just you need it it's a necessity right so when we think about those things would you say that money um kind of harms relationships whether it's with your with a partner or with a family member like a brother sister um how do you feel about how do you feel about that well, you said, you said a whole lot there. And I know that you guys are the mental health experts. And so I want to touch lightly on this subject, just not to kind of cross any, you know, boundaries that I don't know about mental health. So I'm going to answer this in my perspective, my Danielle invests money <laughs> perspective. Right. Um, when I hear people say that money is the root of all evil, it makes me sad because money is literally a tool that is all it is it is a tool Um, if i throw a dollar at you no matter how hard i throw it it is not going to physically hurt you Um, it's not going to get up off the table and then come smack you again and try to hurt you even more Um, think of it like a hammer a hammer is a tool that can build an entire home but it can also destroy that exact same home in the exact same way that it used to build it. So money is kind of like your hammer. It's a tool. So back when we were, I don't know, who knows when, a long time ago, not now, 
um, you had a farm and you would go outside and eat the food in your farm and you would use tools and resources that you had to build a home and shelter and all of these things. Now we pay for those conveniences with our money. So we live in an advanced society. So we need money to get the food, to get the shelter, to provide for our basic needs right? So where we come into like issues is when you don't, you feel like you don't have enough, or you feel like you and your partner may be at war with each other. Money is at the heart of those problems, at the heart of those conversations, but they're not at the heart of those problems per se. I find more that the problems are trust issues between couples. Like I don't trust you with how you manage the money or I don't trust myself with how I manage the money. So it's a trust issue or it's a communication issue. Let's say, oh, I communicated this with you and we're having an issue about money because we can't communicate with it. We can't communicate with each other about it. Mm-hmm. Like we're feeling some shame or guilt or I don't wanna talk to you about how much debt I have or I don't wanna talk to you about um, you know, how you spend your money on your free time. Like here's an example of a couple that I was talking to and, and coaching the wife wanted to spend $300 on organic groceries. And it was $300 extra per month just to buy organic groceries, $300 extra per month. And the husband was like, I want to buy store brand everything. I could care less about organic. So you see their values are different and it's okay to have different values, but coming to a compromise as a married couple is really important. So he, um, the husband would say, well, I'd rather use those $300 a month so I can go on vacation. And the wife was like, I could care less about vacation. So you see where money comes into a problem. It's not necessarily the money, it's the values, it's the communication, it's what you value truly. Mm -hmm. And what money can provide for you in that instance. So it's kind of of touchy. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's it's one of those things, I'm a firm believer in counseling. Yeah, seriously, counseling. (laughs) Um, And more counseling in every part of the dynamic of your life. Um, But definitely when it comes to to marriage um, and you have to kind of now share these finances with someone, or even if you decide to do this with a partner that you've been with for a very long time that you currently live with, the one thing that I can say personally for me that we kind of like brushed over was the financial portion. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, uh, I'm not worried about it. He has his account. I have mine. We'll split the bills, whatever, yada, yada. Reality hit. And it was like, hold on, wait a minute. I no longer just live for me, you know, like I have to consider him and his finances and that goes a long way with different couples or even if you're living with the roommate or, or something like that, those financial conversations need to happen. Yeah. Um, but specifically when we're talking about couples, uh, joint, re- joint accounts versus single accounts, um, I'll let you express how you feel about it, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in both. I feel like we should... I work hard for my money, right? (laughs) Have your own stash, but you should also have a joint account where you share responsibilities or however you decide to split it up. Mm -hmm. That rainy day emergency fund can go in there. Somebody breaks tired. I don't know, whatever it's for. Um, I believe in both, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people believe either separate or we're going to do this thing jointly because now we're one and yours is mine, mine is ours. So how do you feel about the joint versus the single accounts? 
So just before I answer that question, you, you made a point about having your emergency fund in your joint account or something like that um, just now. And that's like the worst place to put it. <laughs> because like you were saying, you were saying, you were like, you know, if I have a card, I'm going to swipe it. So I definitely want, and, and that's something I forgot to mention earlier, is when you have that emergency fund, do not put it in investments. Do not put it in a, a money market money market account. Um, well, it depends. If you can get it out very fast, then that's fine. But don't put it in like a CD, something that's going to be locked up, basically, because it's for emergencies. So if you get a flat tire, you cannot wait like five business days for the transfer to go through. You know what I mean? You need it to access it quickly, but not too quickly that you swipe it at Target, okay? Right. <laughs> um, so that's the differentiation, but um, joint account versus single account, okay. I like both too. I like having a joint account when you get married mm -hmm. and single accounts. Um, it's important for you guys to, to combine finances because legally you guys are married, you guys are one, so the, the financial burden really does you know impact you different when you're married and so paying the bills out of one account sharing the bills that way in whatever way you decide right because if both partners are not making or each partner is not making the same amount of money you're going to want to be in agreement in how much you guys are splitting because sometimes it's not 50 50 and it shouldn't be let's say one person is making a hundred thousand dollars and the other person's making 30. well it should never be 50 50 in that case I mean, that's not very fair, right? Um, so coming down to that like marital conversation, communication about money, like how much am I covering? How much are you covering? Let's have everything come out of the joint account automatically so that we don't have to worry about, did you pay the bill this month? Did you pay this this month? Because that's another money fight and money argument mm -hmm. that can easily be avoided. So I like the joint account for those things. I also like having a personal account because let's be honest, you know, if I want to surprise my husband with something, I'm going to use my personal account. Or if I want to just go to, I, I don't know, I can use my personal account for little things that I budget for as well, like personal things that I want to do. Um, I don't think that just separating everything for the long term it causes more fights and more like secrecy issues or, you know, oh, well, you know, if one partner is doing much better than the other partner, it's kind of like that uh, sharing the burden or if you're struggling, I want to help you. And if I'm struggling, you know, vice versa. Right. I think that's really important for, for couples to be on the same page about money. Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely important. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. I think it should be um, both. That's how, like in my family, that's how it was growing up. Um, they had the house account and that was the joint account. So anything that had to do with the house, um, whether that was like family vacations or it was the bills, they would put it in the, in the family pot. And then other, otherwise they, you know, my parents had their separate accounts. Um, and I was like, Oh, that makes, that makes sense. I, 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 I do yeah. like, you know, it, for me, it, it just makes sense. Um, and I think that, to your point, Danielle, around just can can money harm relationships and, and things like that, and I think I think that it can for sure. As far as um, going back to what where your value is, right? So if one person they want a certain lifestyle that they did not communicate with you beforehand, or you know, or circumstances do change as far yes. as let's say they do lose their job, 
right? And now for some, they thought they could provide in a certain way that they just don't have the means to at that time. Um, I think when the value is put on the money, that's when it can, you know, impact um, relationships and things like that. Um, but I do think, and I loved what you said around like, but most times it comes down to like communication yeah. and trust. And that is, that is something that we don't talk about in relationships, especially in the, in the talking stage or the dating stage leading up to like engagement and then marriage. Right. right? Um, and it's interesting because we have so many conversations um, around like, okay, are we splitting the, the bill at this dinner? <laughs> over, you know what I'm saying? Like, are you paying? Are we splitting this halfway? So we do talk about money, but we don't talk about it in a way of like, how comfortable are you with money? Right. Right. Like, what is your savings? How do you save? Do you budget? We don't, we don't have those types of conversations, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Um, but, I, and I think it's super important for. I, I hope that that changes because the more that we talk about money, like I talk about money on social media all the time, there's guilt around how much debt you're in, right? People would rather give you their social security number than to tell you how much debt they're in, right. like, or how much student loans they have or how much credit card, because it internally, it's, it comes with a little bit of shame because it makes them feel like I did something wrong yeah. or I'm currently living with something that's bad. And so that goes back to the money mentality and having a millionaire mindset where I want you to just release yourself of that and just be like, you know what? I got a college education, which is what I value. I was the first person in my family to get a college education and I paid student loans, but that doesn't make me less of a person. I'm just going to work hard to pay them off. Um, so, so kind of changing our mindset around that and like openly saying like, listen, I, when I was a young mom, I couldn't pay for diapers. You know what I mean? I was so bad with my money and I wasn't getting paid enough to afford diapers, you know? So just being open and honest and being like, look, if you're going to judge me for that, then maybe this is not the great, the best like relationship for us, but just I'm open and honest and transparent. And like, I think it really shows you who you're dealing with, you know? Mm -hmm. I definitely think so. And I think that <laughs> coming full circle with this, I think that um, we're talking about in the context of like a relationship, but I think it starts with your personal relationships between you and money, right? What you value, different things like that. Um, and having that, that mindset that you're talking about. Um, and this is, I think this has been a, an insightful, um, an insightful conversation. It's been one of those conversations that's like, ouch, but thank you. Right. Um, it's all with love. It's all absolutely. with love. It's conversations like this that need to continue, um, in general. And I'm, we're just so appreciative for you, Danielle, just coming on here, um, educating us, challenging us, um, and all those different things. So this has been another episode of small talk, three Queens, three perspectives, one topic. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.